1: Welcome to, what well, old Queen? A candid and adult take on queer life quandaries at a certain age, so please listen at your own discretion. Presented by Bernie and Tommy, the views here are purely those of the content providers, and in no way reflect those of any service you may hear this programme on. Now, please let your ears be upstanding for the <coughs> Old Queen's. Hi, Tommy.
0: Hello, how are you?
1: I'm good. How are
0: you doing? Yeah, I'm really good, actually. I've had a couple of good days in 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 succession. And before, I've been having like one bad day, one medium day, and one good day. But I've had two kind of fairly all right days. So I'm okay. kind of getting into the swing of it now. So uh, what's made them good? Um, I've sort of found a little bit of a structure in my day. I've been doing a lot more exercise. Um, I've been doing a lot of baking and I've sort of found ways to turn things off, I think. So I'm, my problem is that I'm getting a lot of messages and phone calls through, which is great and lovely, but it's quite distracting and I can't sleep. And that's been the hardest thing about this whole process is not being able to sleep. But, I turn my phone off and my computer off two hours before I go to bed and read a book.
1: Right. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, so you wind down into sleeping.
0: Mm, yeah, and it's sort of working out for me now.
1: Yeah, I normally do like a meditation before that kind of sets me to sleep, which, which yeah. stops me from overthinking. But then I, I tend to wake up two hours later.
0: Well, the, <laughs> I, before I started this new regime, I had a spliff. A codeine and um, a bottle of wine, and I think I thought this is I can't keep this up. <laughs> You're going to have to go
1: in rehab at the end of this.
0: I know, yeah. So I'm 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 thinking of the longer game and um, looking after my health. Okay, which, as I say with a glass of wine.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Well, cheers. So what have we got this episode? What have you got for us with What That Really Old Queen?
0: Well, What That Really Old Queen this week is inspired by um, a podcast that I've been listening to. And I came across this podcast when my neighbour was locked out of his flat. And, I mean, it's such an unfortunate place to be, locked out of your flat during lockdown. <laughs> uh, <Yes. laughs> um, and, and he invited me to, like, see if I would had a better idea of opening the door with his key, because I know that key is, like, that door is slightly dodged. Um, and I'm socially distancing, so I didn't really want to get involved. Um, but we did end up having an interesting conversation about, like, what I'm doing now that I can't really work as a performer. And um, I told him that I was doing this podcast and stuff. Mm. And then he said, oh, do you listen to this podcast called um, Bad Gaze? And I said, no, I hadn't heard of it. It's basically just um, looking at historical figures in history that are kind of bad or have led kind of complicated lives, really. Right. And it's and it's um, a conversation, really, between two academics, interested people, Hugh Lemmy and Ben Miller. Um, ben, Hugh is a, a writer and novelist, and Ben is a member of the board of the Gay Museum in Berlin, which I think you've talked about some things before, haven't you?
1: No, it was the um, Sex Museum in Prague, which I spoke about. I'm getting
0: confused, yeah. I don't know if it's weekly, but they focus on a different figure every um, every episode. And um, I've listened to the one about um, Ronnie Cray, which I love. Um, and I've always had a soft spot for the Cray Brothers. When I, I had to babysit my nephews once, and I didn't really know what to do with them. So I made up a musical, because my my nephews are twins. And so I made up a musical um, about the Cray Brothers' lives and got them to star as it, being like five year old twins. (laughs) Um... (laughs) But the one I want to talk about is Uh,
1: I'm not sure you should be be looking after kids. (laughs) If you're doing musicals about criminals.
0: I know, but there's so much glamour and... Well, there's a, there was a lot it's, of, like... I know, and, I know why you did it.
1: I know why you did It's because one of them dated Barbara Windsor, isn't it?
0: Yeah. <laughs> I love all of that stuff. Um, but the person that I want to focus on for this week is not Ronnie Cray. Um, it's Frederick the Great. Oh. Um, uh, so, yeah. I don't know if you know much about Frederick.
1: I don't, so I look forward to you telling us about that. Oh. I'm going to introduce our special guest for this week's episode, is John Thomas, or as we know him, John East, who's our friend.
2: Hi, John. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Hi, good evening. Thank you for having me as your guest at our virtual drinks reception.
1: <laughs> well, yes, where, you are you, where are you streaming in
2: from? Uh, I'm streaming to you from East London. Um, so I'm just in my flat uh, for the foreseeable future like all of us
1: but it looks yeah. like a very nice flat
2: so I'm yes s- so my, my landlord um, designs show homes for a living that's a fairly bougie uh, apartment yes
0: it looks very bougie I've been watching his fitness ratio on Instagram. Have you, are you doing yeah. daily workouts for everyone
2: I mean I've been doing almost daily workouts for myself wasn't going to share them but then people were asking to, to see it. So currently, you can see me doing some um, uh, glute exercises in a jock strap on my Instagram story, um, <laughs> which is like one of the perks of working out at home as opposed to in a, uh, a, a public gym.
0: Yeah. I mean, doing... I do that in my gym.
2: Do you work what...
1: <laughs> in a jock? Um, I'm normally in chaps. Oh, no, that's not the gym. Um, you like some structure. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so john you know a bit about exercise don't you because you were or are a fitness instructor
2: uh yeah i'm a a qualified personal trainer uh fitness coach and i also almost have a master's degree in movement teaching and directing uh which was part of like a a transitional career move from working in theater which is kind of back when i was living in bristol and, and and Um, socialising more regularly with with you both, that my fitness career got superseded by a career in porn, which is uh, equally athletic, but just slightly different.
0: Well, I was interested in the fact that you you come from a place where you've been a theatre director and then working in porn, whether you try and sort of impose a dramaturgical arc or a narrative in porn that may not be there within the initial brief because the kind of porn that I've watched and really enjoyed is when there's a little bit of a story and I love, I I love to see that played out. And I wondered whether you come in there and try to put that honest, honest, honest situation. Or is it just a hardcore fuck? Like
2: most of my my work to date is just a hardcore fuck because my the first year of my career I was working for Tim Tales, so they just there's no storyline. It's just having sex. Mm-hmm. However, you could say there was the, an overarching uh, year long storyline involving myself and and Tim Kruger, who's kind of the the face and and. Um, and cock of Tim Tales and there was like debate amongst uh the fan base about whether we were actually in a relationship or not um and over the course of the year I think we had sex on camera like five times which is quite unusual um and also his first bareback fuck so there's like a there's like you know a sort of behind the scenes narrative that can be read into the um each visual um episode i mean i think definitely having drama school training has been really helpful because like when you get thrown together with someone that you don't know and you have to work together and you obviously like the thing that's for me is makes porn and and, like sex in my personal life really different is like one is about your connection with the person you're with which is your sex in your private life and the other the most important thing is the relationship between the performer and the viewer so actually what's happening between the two of you as performers in porn isn't that important but what you're conveying like via the camera uh, and a screen is really important so the ability to potentially convey chemistry that might not naturally exist is something that I think has done me quite well in terms of being received by fans or viewers but I do I do really want to make narrative porn I want to be in a film where I play like a character that goes on an adventure or delivers a or something
0: because the porn that i i watch mostly is straight porn and that seems to have more of a narrative in it i think yeah my
2: perception i think there is like i'm reading a really good book about uh uh, constructions of masculinity in gay porn and like via gay pornography from the well from the early 20th century onwards and i think there's like there's a weird like sub genres of porn or subcultures and it depends on the audience so a lot, there's there's a very big um, heterosexual female market for gay porn, which I think tends to be the kind of porn that is more narrative based and more emotional or more in, um, tender because it's like what's sexy is seeing men being vulnerable, whereas potentially a lot of the porn that's designed for a purely male market is the kind of like bump and grind Hardcore
0: fuck scenario. I really like the moment in the film Um The Kids Are Alright um with Annette Benning and Julia um and Julianne Moore. Yes. Um then they're playing a lesbian couple and they get off by watching Gay Porn Together.
2: Yeah. I remember yes. I think that's really wonderful. Uh, I was at the Gay Vienna Awards in January and was kind of surprised because they had a, a lot of like big, really big like female fans. I don't know whether they're straight or lesbian. I didn't discover. But yeah, there's something kind of really fun about something that I've always thought of as being like a very male man or not, even, not male, but like being a gay man involves being male. But that like pleasure can be found in my deviant sexuality from the norm amongst other groups of people is, it's quite cool I think mm. I haven't really watched a lot of straight porn though I'm so not I saying
0: that I've watched a lot but I've given <laughs> a choice I'd probably prefer to watch the straight porn
2: because of the narrative or a sense of story
0: a sense of story but also yeah I pref- I like to watch it from the moment where I like it when they start with their clothes on and then you get to see them undress yes like the moment where they take off the sh- sh- shirt you know, that's the best bit for me. Like that moment, it's about 10 seconds long, but I love it.
2: Yeah, laugh. yeah. No, that,
0: that, feed When you were doing it, your exercise with your shorts and then you yeah. brought the shorts down, it's so much more exciting for me than watching you without the shorts at the beginning. Yeah, so, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. You're all about the preamble, aren't you, Tommy?
0: <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: So you've also got a massive following on Instagram as well, haven't you, um, John? What what came first, porn star or I Instagram? To me. <laughs> well, obviously you have, Tommy. <laughs>
2: I, I mean, I, I'm, uh, I'm not like super into social media. But when I was doing my personal training qualification, it felt quite apparent I should probably start having an Instagram and like better social media presence as John East. Um, so that when I moved to London to do my master's degree with the intention of working part time as a PT to help pay my way, I had some sort of um, credible social media presence, which is quite important in the world of fitness. So my Instagram started off as being kind of a little bit more fitnessy, so like photos of me playing rugby or doing exercises and stuff like that. But when I started doing porn about five or six months later, and I tried to keep my Instagram not to do with porn or too sexual, that's when like the fan base shifted. So, but I've kept my real name for Instagram. For me, that like, Instagram is my entire life, which includes porn. Whereas right. my Twitter is like a, is purely work related, I guess. Sure, I don't kind of share like what I'm doing with my friends or my family on there. Whereas Instagram is kind of everything because I guess I want to sort of normalise like sex as part of a complete life rather than a secret or shameful side of oneself.
0: Totally, I think that's what comes through quite nicely with the way that you present yourself and your ideas is the lack of shame.
2: Yeah, I mean, shame is absolutely something I have and. And I think it's partly why I went into porn in the end was to to challenge that, that so my dad was a priest in the Church of England, but he had an affair and, and left, which wasn't very priestly behaviour. And then I went to a Roman Catholic school with a very, well, a really shit, like sex and relationship education curriculum. Whether you were male, female, straight or gay, I, I just think you would have left that school with a really unhelpful sense of of your body and ideas around desire and love and sex and reproduction and sexual health and so I think it took a really long time for me to overcome those notions of shame and it's still something that I, I battle with with now but I guess I kind of want to very openly be someone who can promote sex in a positive way I guess I was taught that like in the past, like if you did porn or sex work, it was because you'd like reached rock bottom. Mm. Uh, and so I guess it was important for me to be like, no, I've made a really conscious choice to do this at a point in my life when I had no need to apart from desire. And I love my job. and It's not something that I do because I was stuck for money or had no other options. Like whatever the kind of uh, preamble I was sold by like my, my parents or my teachers.
1: Sure. And you've, you've traveled the world as well doing like you go to clubs and host and go go dance and things like that. How's that been?
2: I mean, it's great. Like, I I loved theatre a lot. But um, as, as as maybe a lot of people who work in theatre know the money isn't isn't brilliant. And I found myself with not enough money or time the things I really wanted to uh, what like particularly to travel. So yes, I've been able to travel around Europe a lot. Um, and America and hong kong and like go go dancing is one of the things i probably love most it's like a super interactive and exciting way to meet people who might be fans or or might just be other members of of, the lgbtq plus community i just i mean i think i mean i love nightlife for me like the art massive massive um family of performers and 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 makers, they include gaga dancers and people who make porn, alongside actors and writers and designers and beans. Um, and I think queer nightlife is some of the most like exciting and and rebellious forms of art that exist. Yeah. Uh, I just I love the live experience, which is what I got in theatre and is what I get from gaga dancing.
0: And that's actually what I'm finding quite difficult about this situation is because I love the unruliness of things and actually you can't really be unruly in this situation that we're in at the moment without actually endangering the wider picture really and so we all have to just stay indoors for the sea of the future but I'm finding ways around that and I'm sure you are too yeah how has lockdown
1: affected you I mean it's obviously affected everyone I mean, you know, I'm on universal credit because I'm not earning any money anywhere yeah. else. Wow. But uh, what about yeah. what about you? What? What? Is, how has it affected your career? Obviously, there's no porn being made right now.
2: No, there isn't. So, I mean, I, I do. I, I'm really honest. I do feel very fortunate that whilst I'm affected, I'm in a relatively comfortable position in terms of my living situation. In that I'm, I'm, I'm sequestered away with my boyfriend, um, so I have like company with me. And I still have an income from my fans' subscription pages. Uh, however, what I've lost are like go-go dancing gigs and cancelling travel plans. I sort of went into lockdown being really gun- gung-ho and thinking it was all going to be a little a fun adventure. And then I instantly felt super depressed and just lay in bed and did nothing for like four days. But now I'm sort of enjoying myself. This, this isn't the way that the, the life that I was intending to have right now um but given the circumstances i'm trying to enjoy it and and by doing things that are quite like, not a bit less normal for my my day-to-day life i'm like being a homebody but then it's letting me do a bit of writing i'm still videos but they're solo videos and then getting to you know do things like this like be on your podcast which is wonderful people who are cleverer than me are being very inventive about ways of kind of reaching out and enabling the community to still exist in this digital way, which all feels very bizarre to me, but I will embrace our technological leaders in this field.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, great. And, well, thank you for being with us today, and you're going to stay with us throughout the whole of the episode, so we're going to get your input to all sorts of nonsense that we talk about today. But shall we move on to What That Really Old Queen And, and talk about Frederick the Great?
0: So Frederick the Great born 1712 and um, ruled the kingdom of Prussia in seventeen to, from 1740 to 1786. So this is quite a significant reign. And this is the period of the Age of Enlightenment. Now, do you know what that means?
2: Um, no, tell me.
0: I bet John knows.
2: Um, so when I think of the Age of Enlightenment, I think it's like a time of um, a shift to rational thought. So it's away from um beliefs being dominated by religion in terms of the way the world works so it was a lot of like I think for like Rousseau was one of the kind of principal philosophers and there's a big shift towards like um
0: embracing nature and things like that mm, nature and science I understand yeah. yeah yes yeah and so um Frederick the Great was born to the son of maybe Frederick the first or something uh, and yeah. uh, He was born a child that was like a child of that time, I suppose, like very interested in philosophy and music and considered by his father to be rather eminent. I've got the words tyrannical father and effeminate son. I personally can relate to that. Frederick tried to escape this situation um, by um, trying to move to England, but his father stopped this imprisoned his own son, and then Frederick escaped with his... I mean, you can't say it's his partner, but he was his sort of friend, ally, maybe his partner. Um, I think he was called Hans Hermann. Um, and he headed Hans Hermann and made um frederick watched the beheading not a nice thing to witness but frederick went on to rule prussia which is now i would guess you would call that germany would you and maybe parts of austria and russia i think
1: sure
0: and sort of the reason why the bad the gays the the bad Gaze podcast are focusing on it is because like he seemed to be sort of very interested in just like European domination on a massive scale, really exploiting his power, kind of being a massive like show off and a big leader, sort of instigating the Seven Years' War and just trying to dominate in every way. But then on the other side, he's got this real interest in sort of poetry and philosopher and philosophy, and he he creates this beautiful palace near Berlin. Um, called Pop Have you have you heard of that?
2: Yeah, but not what not. I can't think what it looks like.
0: So it seems like it is a sort of almost a bit of the uh, sort of modelled on the Palace of Versailles. I would imagine lots of, I mean, probably a bit more like my flat myself that I live in. <laughs> um, lots of soft furnishings and gold Rococo um, pineapple and chintz and all that kind of thing. Love it. Um, yeah, lavish in every way. Yes. Um, Frederick just get married um, to a woman, and she lives miles away. But he feels his kind of... They say he'd lived without a court, which was quite revolutionary in time. But he, I guess he lived in the palace with lots of military men oh. um, who were all rumoured to be um, extraordinary <laughs> handsome. Mm. And... Um, and then he sort of brought in different kind of experts and philosophers and different things. One of them was called Piers-Louis Malpatou, who uh, says has, had had um, rather ostentatious wigs and a high-pitched voice and was in charge of kind of some kind of system of economy. But what was very particular about this place was really the the lack of women and the lack of any kind of religious ideas in that way
1: when you say an ostentatious wig which i quite like to have right now are we talking tina turner
0: <laughs> I, love um, I googled this man and i didn't think it was an ostentatious enough Oh,
1: okay i want an ostentatious wig so if you can uh, email suggestions for an ostentatious wig for me uh, i'd much appreciate it
0: and one of one of the philosophers that kind of came into the palace was Voltaire. Do you know about Voltaire?
1: I've heard of him.
0: Do you write plays? Oh, yeah, maybe this yeah, is... I'm, I'm getting things... I think I'm getting two things really confused because when I've been doing... I'm making a show about Kenneth Williams at the moment and Kenneth quite, quite often name-checks Voltaire, so maybe there's two Voltaires. Oh, I don't know. No. I think there's only one.
2: At, he was working at the same time.
0: Is he in this period? Yeah, Voltaire. yeah, yeah. Yeah, maybe he was then, and it seems like there was a lot of kind of like people running away from you know the French palace and the court with Louis whoever um, into. um,
1: I I love Louis whoever because he's come up quite a few times doing this, um, (laughs) doing what that really old queen (laughs) section.
0: I mean, what comes across really is that the the bad gays podcast is um, rigorously rigorously researched. unlike what I'm offering. (laughs) um, We're never
1: rigorously researched.
0: Never knowing we're rigorously researched. I am strangely drawn to Frederick, and particularly, actually, that sort of idea of the Age of Enlightenment, what he has to offer. And I've looked at pictures of him, and it's funny how... I don't know if you've got a picture of what he looks like, either of you. His picture doesn't convey how I think he should look. He doesn't look... He, well, the, he, he looks, looks a, a bit like, like George old. Washington.
2: Is there it, a young, Frederick? Somewhere?
0: Yeah, he looks very sort of sober and.
2: I think that's
1: fake news. I think they've done like a spin doctor job on him. He's obviously. Oh, look! He looks quite pretty when he's younger, but he's always but I mean, he's always got the wig on.
0: But that's what the portraits are fake news in that way. really. Yeah. Is that what they're what they're trying to communicate nation so you know we can have our own idea of what he could look like. He's
1: always in uniform with that hat on, with like a Napoleonic hat on. Um
0: yeah and I think that's what he's famous for really is that he was famous for really managing to organize warfare in a massive way. Wow. So he kind of orchestrated like all of the people of Prussia, you know, he he created a massive army and kind of European domination. I guess, like, organized it rather than it just being a kind of bum fight. Right.
1: What else drew you to him?
0: Well, I like anyone. I don't know if he was responsible for being, for, for, for kind of um, titling himself Frederick the Great. But I like <laughs> anyone that has the audacity to kind of.
2: It's a shame we don't do that ourselves so much nowadays. Well,
0: yeah.
2: I, I guess you can on your grinder
1: profile. Yes. I mean, so that's on
2: your passport.
1: Uh, yeah. I'm bernie the ignatius
0: a colleague at work refers to me as the mighty tom marchman and i love that but also it feels a bit like i can't quite fit that
1: yeah i'm not sure
2: appropriate
1: what yeah i think it's appropriate um i've been um called irrepressible i'm not quite sure that's quite right for me what have you been described as johnny
2: um, many things by many different <laughs> people. Um, I mean, ov- uh,
1: obviously, keep it clean. No, you oh, don't have okay. to at all.
2: <laughs> you don't have to
1: at all. We're um, explicit. It's uh, fine. And,
2: um, last summer or at some point, yeah, like last summer, I got christened by Susie Kruger, who is um, this incredibly amazing, fierce lesbian, gay club night producer, promoter, um, who organised live sex shows as part of her gig, um. And she was promoting me as uh, Super Pig Bottom, John Thomas, um, which was quite a mouthful, um, and stuck, stuck from like the summer into the autumn. I mean,
1: <laughs> um, is this is this what you know? Kings and queens and leaders in the future will be called. You know, it's not going to be Frederick the Great. It's going to be Johnny the Super Pig Bottom.
2: Yeah, or like Boris the Cunt. Like, <laughs> you know.
1: Well, I mean, he's our illustrious leader. How dare you? <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> are we are we
1: done with Frederick the Great?
0: Well, I was just going to say, if we're going to bring it back to a prime minister, yeah. One of the one of the podcasts is about um, Piers Gaveston, which was Edward the Second. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. lover. Um, And and the Gaveston Club is in Cambridge, I think, or Oxford. Anyway, it's the one that David Cameron went to college at. Oxford, Oxford, and that's the one where there's rumoured to have pictures of David Cameron fucking the pigs. Oh, Oh. can I just say? Really love. Yeah.
1: Can I just say I played Edward the Second in an episode of Flog It um so that's my claim to fame
2: well, my my final work in theater was as the movement director on a student production of edward the second at my drama school i don't think it's quite the same but no you know i mean i probably could have done with some choreography a connection to this this gay king and his lover,
1: frederick the great i love him although i feel i feel like he could have done a bit more drag i know he was in that wig I, w- I want to see a little bit more makeup on him, I
2: think. I, f- I found a picture of him wearing like, a dress and beat him as a child. Oh, wow. Or probably well, wearing a dress and holding a not clear which one. On our Instagram feed.
1: Yeah, can you forward it uh, to me, yeah. Johnny, so I can put it up on the feed?
2: Right, okay, well, yeah, that's... I'm, I'm technology, but I will make that happen.
1: Great, thank you. Right, we're going to go to a break now. And uh, before we go to break, I'm going to give you some inspiring quotes as we're all going through um, stupid dystopian sci-fi shit at the moment. So um, I've got I've got another one from Mark Twain: "Never regret anything that made you smile." I think we can all live to that. I don't know what. Yeah, sure. Uh, <laughs> what? What? Uh, you're going to regret stuff that does make you smile.
2: Some people find pleasure in maybe things that they shouldn't find pleasure in. But maybe that's my line of work. Like, uh,
1: okay, yes, all right. Um, let's all go there. Right, Leonardo da Vinci said, simplicity is the ultimate sophistication and life is very simple right now, right? Yes, agreed. And uh, lastly, Robert H. Schuller said... Tough times never last, but tough people do. So there we go. Right, we're going to have a little break. Always in
0: Who said may, you were,
1: like, D- say again, Tommy? Dickens said that. It was the best of times, it was the worst of times. In- oh, no, that's a Chinese oh, no, proverb. May you always live in interesting times. And we certainly do that.
0: But didn't we say it was Dickens? I thought it was Dickens.
1: No, Dickens is it was the best of times, it was the worst of times or whatever. Anyway, at this point, we're going to have a little break. So we'll be back after this. Right, so we're back uh, after a little break, and uh, Johnny and I were just talking about ostentatious wigs.
2: We were. <laughs> and,
1: and how we, uh, I had the honour of wearing an ostentatious wig with uh, John um, and, and was naked on stage with him.
2: Was naked and, and sort of touching each other whilst applying um, blue um, guns. Yeah, think, was it gone? It was or, or slime, or slime. I think it was body paint, but
1: it was it just went everywhere and lasted for months. I don't think it was body paint. <laughs> don't, don't you? No, we yeah. did we we did a reenactment of Eve Klein's blue uh, horseplay in Bristol a few years ago. Yeah, but with men uh, in wigs and dark glasses. I wanted um, to do heels as well, but we never got the heels together. Although we were falling over on stage as it was. I'm sure heels would have broken an ankle.
2: Like a, yeah, a broken leg, for sure.
0: How often are you in
2: heels? Me or Bernie? Uh, you? Like, um, I'm not, although I actually I've inherited a pair of um, crystal studded stilettos are my size, but I feel I need an intermediate kitten heel to practice my walk because I look like Bambi, but worse, trying to walk in them. I, um,
1: I so can... Yeah. If anyone's I
2: can, got any size 11 heels, I can walk in heels, <laughs> um,
1: but really short ones. So I can do like a four inch. But one night I got quite drunk and um, and quite cocky and ordered a pair of um, seven inch heels online, size 11. So you, you'd fit into them, Johnny. And... Um, Nearly broke my ankle when I tried to put them on on my laminate
2: floor in my flat. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think a nice two-inch heel might be my, my, uh, my training size. I think I want a wedge. Yeah.
0: How, how about you, Tommy? Well, you're, I, you're
1: way better in heels than, than either of us two.
0: I've only got one pair of heels and they're six-inch and I can walk in them. I find them very uncomfortable, but uh, mm. yeah. I, I would like a kitten heel. Not for training purposes, just for more comfort reasons.
1: Yeah, I quite like a cha-cha heel. Anyway, moving on. Um, a lot of our um regular features are going to go out the window. Uh, this episode because uh, it's so interesting talking to John. So, uh, but for what it. I would like to talk about is an article I found on Pink News. Um, at the end of March by Lily Wakefield, and it's a story. Uh, it's a lockdown story, so we can discuss this. Uh, and it's um, and it's about a mostly straight guy who's falling in love with his bisexual housemate during coronavirus lockdown. He kisses him on the forehead and tucks him in while he's sleeping. This is the bisexual guy to the straight guy. Uh, so he posted uh, this dilemma on Reddit and said... He referred to his uh, roommate with the pseudonym of Jake. And he wrote that Jake's pretty casually, physically an affectionate guy in general. I'm not as much. But he's cool with him being like that. But the two men are currently in lockdown because of the coronavirus pandemic, aren't we all? And have only had each other for company. And the original post of the, st- the straight-ish guy has a condition which causes extreme fatigue. And so he needs to take naps during the day and used to do this on the sofa when his roommate was out. But since quarantine, his flatmate has been there every time and he's been very accommodating and sweet about it. So our living room can get pretty cold. So if I fall asleep without a blanket, he'll pop one over me so I don't freeze. It started out being just that. I'd fall asleep without a blanket and wake up with one on. Then a couple of times I woke up and he was sitting up uh, at the top of the couch and he was just casually playing with my hair, which I actually really loved more, more than I ever would. It was very soothing. Then about a week ago, I guess he thought I was asleep before I was because he tucked a blanket over me then gave me a little kiss on my forehead. And I liked it. I really liked it. To the point where i've literally been pretending to fall asleep sooner than i than i am (laughs) so that so that he can tuck me in and kiss me give me a kiss on the forehead he sometimes strokes my cheek or my hair a little bit too which oh my god that's even better he's not sure what his feelings mean as he considers himself mostly straight Whereas Jake has had relationships with both men and women. But he added, I'd really kind of be okay with it, like if he started giving me all these little forehead kisses while I'm awake too. Addressing the topic of the poster sexuality. So what do you think about that? I, by the sounds of it, the the, the article goes on. I'm not going to read the whole thing. But he it feels like he's having feelings for this guy and he'd like to take it further. Do you think there's going to be a lot of these stories where people are in lockdown, like supposedly straight guys are in lockdown with other guys and there might be some romances going on? Because, come on, let's face it, we're all slightly sexually frustrated. I mean, Johnny, you've you've got someone that you live with that you can probably have a bit of fun with. But, you know, I'm yeah. on my own, Tommy's on his own. There might be people that aren't in a relationship with together who are banged up with each other, so you know, do you you think more of these little romances are going to happen? I mean, I think,
2: I think physical touch is something that we undervalue. Uh, Or or, or I guess, um, as gay men, we're more comfortable being tactile with our friend, other people. But for straight men, there's a slight um, barrier or prejudice around being tactile with their heterosexual friends. But I think we probably all quite like being touched and having hugs. Or yeah. I'm
1: very um, tactile with all of my friends, yeah. and I'm I'm at the point where I think when this ends and I can actually go and hug a friend or touch them, not even sex. I'm I might even burst into tears because I'm so craving just mm. that physical proximity and, the, and stuff.
0: The thing is about you, Bernie, as well is you are. Like, out of everyone I know, you're the best person to hug. You're such a good hugger. <laughs> oh. When you came around with a TV for me, I really wanted to hug you, but we were told, you know, that was not um, what we should be doing. Um, and I think, like, I would love to hug you right now. Oh,
1: thank you. Mm. I'd love to hug everyone right now. <laughs> um,
2: yeah. Whereas well, I've been told. Being too tactile in the last two weeks. (laughs) Oh really? Jesus!
1: (laughs) Come and move in with me,
2: John. I'll readjust my quarantine status and re-register with like Big Brother to be allowed to travel. Okay. Um, But I, I just think people will touch each other in like platonic ways or in sexual ways that people might not be expecting. Whether that's male-female, female-female, male-male, or other like relationships. If this goes on for a long time, I mean, it sounds like this guy and his flatmate didn't wait particularly long into social isolation to be getting intimate with each other. No, <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like it maybe it's not all the lot. I mean, I feel like <laughs> it's been bubbling under. For it's a interesting while. that what he said, Yeah, although it's interesting that he said what he says he likes is being kissed on the forehead and having his hair played with. Which aren't like overtly sexual or sexualized acts. It's not kissing on the lips. It's not like um, a massage or something like that. It's mm-hmm. still kind of—I mean—it's kind of a, how you, how I would probably treat my friends. Yeah. In a way, it's um, just affection, isn't it? Yeah. But the
0: thing fly, talking. where this fly that has been hovering around my flat and it's settling on me, and usually, of course, they would find that disgusting. But because it just sort of sits on sits on my hand or something when I'm typing or like it's around and it wants to touch me, and I have I've just let it let let it let it settle on my hand because I'm enjoying that sensation.
1: Tommy, what are you saying? Are you having uh, a sexual relationship with a fly? Is this Freddie the fly?
0: <laughs> I, well, Danny it, the it fly sort of appeared last. It, it appeared last week, Danny the fly, and it's still around, and I. And I have checked, and it's three weeks for a fly's life. So I feel like we're we're in it together for a while, anyway.
1: I mean, you're his life partner. (laughs) I
0: know. We've got a responsibility together.
1: (laughs) Anyway, should we do some Agony Aunt questions? Mm. Okay.
2: Can I just say, as a closing point, if being quarantined with your flatmates or strangers, encourages people to be more open-minded about the like spectrum of sexuality that's another positive to come from this pandemic i would say
1: totally i think um beautiful point John. i think we i think this whole thing is going to make everybody reevaluate their lives re-evaluate how we live our lives and and how we conduct yeah. ourselves as well it's yeah it's going to be quite interesting when this whole thing finishes mm yeah anyway are you ready for some questions uh for yeah. queens of agony right dear old queens what do you <laughs> think oh and john obviously
2: no i can be an old queen my friend laughed when i told her i was gonna be on this show she was like are you an old queen is that why you're on it
1: uh well none of us are old well <laughs> now i'm the old queen everybody else is younger so it, it, you know you, you guys are honorary well, I've, old queens. I've just
0: been nominated Best Daddy,
1: so yeah. Wow. Um, I'm, an I'm right.
0: I'm right behind you,
1: Bernie. <laughs> um, hang on a minute. You've been nominated best daddy.
2: Where was my yeah, nomination?
1: The,
2: the, the Prowler European Porn Awards.
1: Um, oh, okay. I need. I need to get my porn career started for that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, you know, my voiceover career is over. So yeah, maybe porn is the way to go for me.
2: <laughs> well. You could make audio porn. Oh, yeah. Oh, maybe I could. I mean, you Mm. definitely could. There would absolutely be a market for ASMR, sensory, or like audio described, or just like verbal recordings of big gruff voice daddy bear. Okay, well, uh, I'm going to think about that. Anyway,
1: Queens of Agony. (laughs) Yeah, Dear old Queens, (laughs) what do you think about young guys 18 to 21 dating older guys that is 35 plus men i was in an online chat room and was really shocked to see people saying a relationship between a 19 year old and a 43 plus man is wrong abnormal and gross these were not isolated voices they were talking about uh, age gaps in general but particularly about people That young being too naive for a relationship with a man who is considerably older than themselves and would have too much power over them and possibly prey on them. Probably it would be fine for them if the younger guys were 30 plus or so. I don't understand this reaction. I'm from Brazil. I notice age age gaps are seen radically different in comparison in English speaking countries, though I might be wrong. I think this issue is a no-brainer and fine, but some people react as if it were like having sex with a dog—smells of prejudice and puritanism to me. What do you guys think? Do most guys think that a relationship between the ages of nineteen and forty-three is wrong? Uh,
2: I
0: think it's wrong. I think it's the way that the it's the way of the world. It's run like that for been forever and a hairpin.
2: I mean, I'm also like every relationship is individual. So, like, I'm not saying that all 19-year-olds and all 43-year-olds should be partnered up. And there's going to be versions of that relationship that work and versions that don't. I mean, at the moment, big fantasy is, is is younger guys. Whereas when I was younger, it was older guys. And maybe you guys have some experience. I'm currently the older boyfriend in a relationship, although the age gap isn't that big. But there's some things about being able to partner with a younger boyfriend that are tricky Whereas when you're the younger partner, it feels a little bit easier somehow.
1: Yeah, maybe. Like,
2: because maybe. you get looked after a bit more, and it's fine, like, but if you're older, you kind of have this, like, slightly difficult cultural gap.
1: Yeah, I think, but also I think there's more of a stigma for the older guy, because... Um, yeah. So my last long-term relationship was with a guy who was considerably younger than I was. Yeah. And... And the thing is, is that he really pushed us having that relationship. It wasn't me who was manipulating him to have that relationship. I thought the age gap was too big. I didn't didn't think it was going to be serious. But he really wanted us to have a relationship. So I think their presumptions in this chat room are really wrong because it's not necessarily older guys preying on younger guys. I think it's just two people meeting, whatever age they are, and... And then deciding whether they can have a relationship with each other or not. Yeah. I, I mean, personally, I've had, like, when I was younger, I, although <laughs> I didn't have as much interest in me as I've had since I've been 40 plus from all sorts of guys, whatever age, you yeah. know. it's it's and I, and I think some of that is because as an older guy, you're slightly more, you are more confident in who you are. And that becomes quite attractive to people.
2: Yeah. Yes, agreed. I mean, I, th- I think the prejudice around age gaps is really interesting because it is based on this assumption that all age gap relationships are based on some kind of generic something that's exploitative for to I don't know, like daddy son fantasy, whatever it might be, as if like all relationships follow a template, which they they don't. So I can perfectly well think of, of it of um big age gap relationships where there is some kind of power dynamic that's really um not good, mm. but I can also imagine really wonderful, like loving relationships. But then, like you say, like where the younger partner is is initiating it. And I guess the problem is, like, do you want to date someone because they're forty five or because they're nineteen, or do you want to date that person because they're that person in all of their fullness of, of character and worldview and things like that? Exactly.
0: But I think there's something like the way that you the way that you perceive yourself within that relationship as well. Like I think that how you want to present yourself maybe to the outside world or maybe how you want to fit in with that person, that could be part of an age uh, – you could, could contextualise it within an age frame as well or you could contextualise it within a kind of a feminine masculine thing or you contextualise yeah. it in like, – you know, there's m- or multiple ways that you can do that.
1: Mm. Yeah, totally. I mean, uh, psychologically – I I think I would rather be in a relationship with someone who is probably similar mean, I mean I I think I'm a victim of what society sees me as uh, and I think if yes. my partner is too young then I worry about how society sees me and I think I would feel much more comfortable with a, I mean <laughs> at my age everyone's going to be younger than me but <laughs> um you know i think it being too young maybe 19 20 i think i'm i think i would feel uncomfortable with that uh in a relationship situation maybe not if we're just having sex yeah but if in a if it was going to be a long-term thing unless i was really in love with that person i felt comfortable with that person i think i'd be thinking twice about what kind of relationship I could have with them, and that's not because of me. And that, and I, I'm being completely honest here. I think I could probably have an amazing relationship with someone that age. There are cultural differences which yeah. you have to pick up on, but I'm a victim of what society thinks I am, and I, I worry about what society thinks I am if I'm dating someone that young.
2: Absolutely.
0: Well, we're only in like we only live in a certain society, like the other other. Um, societies and cultures that view age and sexuality very differently. I worked with this amazing woman who was talking about like how the older women were like seen as a way of like testing out the young men so that they, and so they had their pick of like all the young men so that they could train them up so that that they could then part and be beautiful lovers and very productive in terms of, um, child rearing
1: I mean I love the song by um Candy Staten called I'd rather be an old man's sweetheart than a young man's fool and I think it's on our playlist on uh Spotify the what that old queen playlist <laughs> I, I think that just says it all really <laughs> yeah. um we're gonna stick with an age theme I think there's quite an age theme in some of these questions so <laughs> <laughs> uh we'll move on to the next one Dear old Queens and Johnny, I feel a certain societal expectation that now uh, that I'm 30, I should really be settling down with a partner and establishing a serious relationship with someone. That is the serious relationship that I might potentially take to my grave. He's talking a lifetime relationship. But what if I don't want this at the moment? What if I want to continue enjoying being single? Focusing on friends, my career, my health and fitness and casual meetups. Am I risking something by not investing in a serious relationship at this age? Is there anyone who continued living as a bachelor life well into their 30s who deeply regrets this decision? Or alternatively, do you think someone is enriched by the experience in a fulfilling relationship?
2: I I mean, I feel like this person doesn't live in a big city. Maybe not. Because well, I don't know, like I'm, I'm very, you know, I'm very happy to be in the relationship that I'm in. But I think if I was single right now, living in living in London and and traveling, I wouldn't in any way feel that if I was failing to settle down as a man in my early thirties. But I definitely maybe thought of thirty as like some sort of cutoff point when I was younger maybe i mean i think settling down for the sake of settling down sounds like a bad idea whatever age you are but i also get that fear of loneliness but he has uh,
0: he hasn't talked about anything like that That's no reason for no he it, pressure i think i feel lonely like mm. that's why that's why i found that problem quite frustrating really it was because like it's just about conforming to an idea really isn't mm. it yeah, it was a societal thing. And also,
1: we all put that 30 thing... I mean, I'm 50, and we all put that 30, 30 thing on ourselves. And yeah. it's too much, certainly at 30. By the time I was 40, everything was fine.
0: But 30... I can't tell the difference between someone that looks 30 and someone that looks 18 these days. They all look the same. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll
2: pay- uh, <laughs> of all of all 30-year-olds. I don't know whether you, you feel this, but the idea of, like, 30 to, to death feels like a really long period of time to me. Oh, my God. How so many when I was younger, how... I turned, like, really far away. But now, like, the idea of 30 to death is, like, a really long time.
0: How well, many boyfriends have you had since you were 30? Well, it, it wasn't a specific question to anyone, but it was more like a point, like, how many boyfriends have we had since we were 30? Right. Or part. You know, it's been quite a few for
2: me. Yeah, me too. No, I, yeah. I mean, I had one, I think. Maybe <laughs> two. I can't remember. I can't remember what really happened. I forget how old I am a lot. Um, <laughs> how old are you? 32. Oh, are you? Uh, yeah. I think, yeah. I've He's there's... definitely yeah, not yeah. an
1: old queen. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> uh, I don't think you're a daddy either. Sorry. Um, I think I'm the, I'm the queen okay, of daddies, okay. so okay. I'm, I'm not going to you know, dub you a daddy yet i think you need to be 35 to be a daddy
2: the idea that you have to have a partner is so fascinating because i think because i've been on like a journey in my relationship with like um being gay and like the sort of like oh there's like a heteronormativity in terms of monogamous partnerships and trying to ape uh a heterosexual relationship and marriage and lifestyle versus like a like queer lifestyle and and for me like choosing to be a sex worker it was about like you know it was taking a step to to marginalize myself away from mainstream and heterosexual culture so i guess for me i'm like well yeah you could live a really full and fruit life as a single person and still have meaningful relationships with people but i think there's this big cultural pressure that if you even though there's no sense of like oh you have to have a baby before your biological clock stops working for, for gay men there's this weird hangover that, like, oh, if you haven't met someone by 30, you'll die alone. Yeah. But actually, why should dying alone be a bad thing anyway if, like, you really enjoy your own company? and
1: I think this guy is, I mean, I think we should just allow him to, to be single and, and enjoy that. The thing is, is that, you know, I've had many, many successful relationships, but none of them have lasted until I've died yet. So, yeah. um, and also... And then- uh,
2: I think that's a really lovely thing to to bear is to like, just to, to highlight is that you've said you've had lots of successful relationships. And like, there's an argument that like, surely the successful relationship that you die in or your partner dies in, but that's quite a morbid way to consider a relationship. And why can't a relationship be successful the last two months? Right? Versus 25 years?
1: Exactly. And my my longest relationship is with myself. And it appears that I'm the only person that can live with me. So that's great. (laughs) I think you shouldn't worry about society. I think you should, you should concentrate on you, your career and um, having fun, having sexual partners that you can have fun with. And if you meet someone along the way that you can, that can stick and you can share some of your life with, that's just the cherry on top. You know, they're, the, the the whole thing is that we as gay men we don't have to be heteronormative we don't have to be married for life you know we don't have to be in a relationship for life mm. you know we can be what we want to be and also make ourselves happy we don't have to be in a relationship to be happy it can be a facet of our happiness in our lives but it doesn't have to be the be all and end all of our happiness because that's not healthy for you it's not healthy for your partner and it's not healthy for a happy life.
0: No. Agreed. That felt like a song. <laughs> I'm going to write really? the lyrics down. Should we do a remix yeah. next
1: time? Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like S Club 7 would have recorded that.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah they they have that, that phase in their lives. They're still... In
1: their 30s. Well, not anymore, but, you know, might have been back then. Anyway, this is another... Uh, I'm going to do two more because, but well, fuck it. Okay, this is a short one. Dear old queens, why do some straight men feel they need to remind us that they're not gay when we don't even care?
0: I, I, <laughs> I love that one. There's
1: more, <laughs> there's more to this. I gave this guy at work, to whom I've known for a while now, a compliment on his outfit. His reply was, "You know, I'm not gay, right? I'm still recovering."
2: Wow. <laughs> I think that says more about him than he does about you. Yeah, I, d- I don't really meet straight men in my life anymore. It's like it's like a quite a nice thing. Oh, I, think. I love a straight man. <laughs> but like, and I feel like the straight men that I meet and engage with are people who are super comfortable in their sexuality. Yeah. that they wouldn't need to point out that they're straight. It, it feels like having to point out that you're straight is like a defence mechanism to me, is how it comes across.
0: Mm. What about you, Tommy? Oh, I think I still come across straight men. I, I I find a lot of straight men quite difficult, and I'd rather... Like, I'd just rather be in a space with queer people. Like, yeah. Yeah. in terms of, like, a, a sort of social party space, I just want to be with queer people. Um, yeah, in terms of just being a convivial, like queer people or women, like heterosexual women, um, straight men. I've like there are there are a few exceptions, of course. Um, I've got straight male friends, but yeah, I, I I would just be like quite blunt to that straight colleague and just say, well, you know, I don't fancy you, right? Or but, but, you know, uh... I'm not. why why would you think I would be interested in you?
1: Again, I feel that it it says more about him than it does about the guy, because I think he's obviously not safe in his sexuality if he's he's protesting too much. I remember when I was younger, um, kind of socialising with uh, a lot of straight guys and them saying things like, I don't really like gay men, but Bernie's all right. Or... all things i if i was gay i'd sleep with bernie I mean, and it's just like how, how do you know i want to sleep with oh. you <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah 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 uh you know yeah. d- just because i'm gay doesn't mean i'm going to sleep with any old uh, tom dick or straight guy
0: but yeah. i've a lot of, i have a lot of straight men um that well it's the diff- it's the other way around really that are very flirty with me that also, sometimes you know it has been much more flirty with, but this they, they are like in a relationship with a woman, or they are they do identify as heterosexual, and I think that they perceive me as like an experiment or like something that oh, they tick off their list I or fucking something like that. I haven't experienced that. you haven't, or you have?
2: Oh, you haven't. I have a friend who's a gay man who is now regularly having reason for the heterosexual couple who are his friends but i think it's a very different scenario and and again i think i sort of wish that i i feel very comfortable with my sexuality but i wish i wish i was like more like open-minded than i am somehow
1: in terms of you know being able to have sex with uh, like a bi
2: couple or or with women i find women i can find some women very beautiful but i don't really have sexual desire for them yeah. But, like, when I was a lot younger, I felt like I was probably a bisexual person. But I think I felt I became conditioned to be because that was better or more proper than being. Like, I definitely felt there was a binary, but you're straight or you're gay. Yeah. You're one or the other. And I really admire people who exist beyond the binary, even if that is a 99% straight or 99% gay. But I never feel the need to point out to a heterosexual woman that oh I'm gay if they tell me that they like my outfit or anything like that.
1: Right, exactly. Um, I think I don't mind the idea of having sex with a with a straight couple, whether where the guy is is gay, you know, it's kind of like a, a bit of a bisexual threesome. What I do mm. take offense to is being a straight man's experiment. That's kind of that kind of pisses me off. It's just like, I don't I don't want to be your experiment. I want to be... You know, just because you're straight I, doesn't mean... And I'm gay doesn't mean I want to have sex with you.
2: For, for sure. But I guess if you didn't... But the problem is if you didn't know you're the experiment, it's a different thing. Like, I... like I'm sure they might have all been experiments for people at some point without knowing it. But to be told, oh, I'd like to try it with a guy, you'll do. <laughs> isn't exactly me. Yeah, I don't <laughs> want to be come on that, that I'm looking for uh, <laughs> I don't, don't want to be you'll
1: do
0: I have to point out it wasn't ever framed like that for me okay yeah. good
1: yeah anyway final question right dear old queens if you were into a guy over 35 and he told you that he's never been in a relationship would that be a red flag for you would you proceed with caution or would you hit the brakes on right there and then or maybe it wouldn't matter? What do you think? I would proceed. I think, I'm yeah, I mean, I haven't had a relationship for a number of years, but if uh, if I was into someone, I wouldn't want them to think that that was a red light spells danger. Yeah.
2: but also aren't, aren't there pluses? Can you like, um, like unintentionally? i I'm one of those people that's, I, I don't know. I, I think it's perceived as being fortunate. If I'm, generally in a relationship rather than like single for a really long time but like then surely my experience of, of love and affection relations is clouded by a plethora of people that have been before and in many ways surely a clean slate is far more attractive rather than someone being like oh well in relationship number two we used to do this every morning or in relationship number five you know we talked about our feelings like this like those the-
0: very, uh, they're very focused around their work and they they're not open to the like they haven't opened themselves up to that possibility of being in a relationship just mm. because they are really determined and they want to work and actually that's a very attractive quality for me Yeah, you know yeah. about work or the thing that they do and and so why not yeah totally
1: yeah. i uh, if if you like someone and you're thinking you're progressing into dating relationship whatever then whatever's gone before with them is not an issue i I don't know why you're looking at the history i mean you know it could be the other extreme that you're looking at someone who's had too many relationships
2: Mm. you know and that's going to put you off and children
1: yeah it's just like you know each it's about the person it's not about what their history is to be
2: honest Mm. And also that you're probably never going to, if you write a a to-do, a a desirable, you know, requirements of your potential partner, you're probably never going to find that person. And so everyone you meet, you have to take as they come. Like, what's and all?
1: Everything's a compromise and there is, the the one, that perfect one does not... It's exist
2: that. Can, the, it's, 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 it's warts and all like if i remember being like my boyfriend's gonna be like this and he's gonna do that his job will be this and we'll meet here and our wedding will be that and it's like well if that's your goal then all you will be doing is compromising mm-hmm. whereas if you you meet people by chance or you know through your social circles or your your work or your passions then you might meet someone who surprises you and you're surprised to fall in love with them uh, that to me is m- more more exciting than having your tick list of they need to have had a minimum of two previous relationships, but no more than three, um, <laughs> because then you're probably not looking for- more than
0: Diana, less than Madonna. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm going to use that
1: more than Diana, less than Madonna. That's I've, actually yeah. I'm I think I am Madonna. <laughs> i probably have more than madonna so yeah i don't um, yeah maybe not yeah just think of the person it's the person it's not what's happened to them in the past
0: we're all agreed yeah okay I think with this problem section we don't really we've, we've all been quite universal in our opinions
1: well that's because we're right
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's why people write into us for this advice and, you know, and that's why other
2: people who would be like no uh, not being in a relationship you shouldn't trust them because they're emotionally dead somehow they won't know how to treat and respect you blah 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 but i'm like no like yeah that's the danger you, you run but potentially it might be the fucking greatest boyfriend of all time exactly and that?
1: okay and on that note but it's the end of our show it's been lovely having uh, john thomas with us um, thank, you. thank you for being with us
2: I was meant to be in Bristol this weekend and it's actually been super lovely to see via this website and talk to you both it's been really really lovely for me personally so thank you very much for having me
1: it's been lovely for us as well it's been a treat
2: Yay.
1: <laughs> so with that um, and I look
2: forward to coming I,
1: I want a big cuddle when I see you and this is all over <laughs> okay please like share subscribe if you'd like to donate to our patreon account so we can keep going that would be amazing as i said i'm on universal credit so is tommy so uh you know uh, the coffers are empty right now because of corona but please keep listening and uh we will see you next time on that old queen say goodbye john goodbye say goodbye tommy
0: Goodbye. say goodbye
1: bernie goodbye bernie (laughs) We'll see you next time on What That Old Queen. You have been listening to What That Old Queen, written and presented by Tom Marshman and Bernie Hodges. The show was produced by Bernie Hodges in spring 2020. For Hodge Podcasting, if you would like to sponsor this show, or you'd like to be a guest, or you just have a question for the Old Queens, you can email at hello at thatoldqueen.com, or find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter.